The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Talk is Jericho, baby. Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho, mama. Talk is me. All right, welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll. And today, it's the return of the classic album Clash. First of all, a few months ago, it was Metallica. Ride the Lightning versus Master of Puppets. Now it's Nirvana. Nevermind versus In Utero. And returning to talk is Jericho before he even returns to the WWE. Big Cass is here to weigh in on the classic album Clash, giving his two cents on Nevermind versus In Utero. He brought along his friend Rob, who's a trainer for a lot of the WWE guys. He's John Cena's personal trainer. Interesting discussion because all of you know I was not a huge Nirvana fan when they first hit the music scene in the early 90s. Uh, I kind of hated them almost for what they did to metal. But Rob and Big Cass were both fans. Explain why they were instant Nirvana fans the first time they heard them. Or Nirvana, if you're from Canada. Cobain used to point that out, that uh, Canada was the only country in the world who pronounced the name of the band Nirvana. Drama. Pasta. Anti. That's how we talk. Get used to it. Also... Big Rob is 40. Big Cass in his early 30s. I'm 47. So we've got a great generational debate going on as well about the cultural impact of Nirvana and their music. We break down both albums in the classic album clash style, track by track. Talk about the iconic cover artwork. Here's some great trivia about the making of both Nirvana albums. And of course, you too can let us know what you think. Nevermind versus In Utero. Which one do you like better? Just tweet your vote for which one at Talk is Jericho. But then, in the meantime, in between time, we're ready to rock it right now. It's the return of the classic album Clash In Utero versus Nevermind Nirvana right here on Talk is Jericho. All right, so uh, the classic album Clash, uh, one of the biggest hits in podcast history, at least in my own mind. Um, and it's funny because everyone wants to get involved now after we've done a few of them. And Big Cass called me a while ago and wanted to do a podcast about music, right? Because you're a big music guy. This is correct. And I was a little jealous that uh, when Sami Zayn came on and uh, you the guys... The Beatles one, The yeah, Beatles podcast. With Charlie from Anthrax. Yes. So you wanted to get involved. So I said, well, I got two choices. One is the search for the perfect album, which is really hard. And then the classic album clash. Yeah. You had brought up Nirvana. Yeah. And I said, well, we need a third. And then you brought Rob's name in here, who is the uh, one of the trainers for, for the WWE as far as... You don't work for the WWE, but you, all the people come to you to, to work out with you in the gym, right? Yeah, I work for myself, and it just so happens that a lot of WWE 
want to show up so so there you go right so we're all in the same uh wavelength here all strapping young lads uh and 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 so what we chose was nirvana yeah uh never mind versus in utero and um which we'll delve into and at first i remember you were saying like oh there's not even any any comparison between the two yeah at at first glance uh especially because never mind i had an impact on me when i was younger I thought it was just a, a slaughter looking at these two. I was like, there's, they don't even compare. Like, Nevermind to me is a juggernaut. Like, it's just, you It's know. almost a perfect album. That's one yes. that we talked about. Yeah. I think there was one or two songs that didn't make snuff, but it's pretty close to a perfect album. Almost first. a perfect album. So I was like, there's nothing that could even touch it. Uh, but then at second glance, looking at In Utero, there's some really, really good stuff on there uh, that I maybe overlooked at first. So it's way closer of a debate than, than I thought it was. Yeah. So, so, so Rob, um, I think we were probably, uh, around, I don't know how old, how old are you? 40. Okay. So I'm 47. You're 30, 30. So you got three kind of <laughs> generations of Nirvana. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about, about Nirvana and the impact of Nirvana. Cause here's another thing that, that it just kind of hit me as I was looking into this and listening to the tunes is that Nirvana's only got three records and two of them, you know, one was kind of an indie release in bleach, but only two records, and have that much influence. It's almost like the Sex Pistols that only have one album. I was just going to say that, right? And Nirvana has two. Like, talk about how much of an influence they are, though, just on music in general, Rob. Yeah, I think that. I mean, that era. You know, you could say the transition from like the hair metal kind of era to like I personally, just being a music nerd, I hate the term grunge. It was just a different kind of rock, right? And I think Nirvana would have agreed. But, um, like, I remember, you know, being that was my prime teenage years for music. And I remember seeing their video, I think, on Headbangers Ball or something. It must have been like a round went premiere because no one had heard of Nirvana. And going around asking my friends, like, have you heard of this band? This track was really good. And getting the album for, like, I had two weeks to be ahead of everyone and be like, seriously, this album's really good. You should check out this band. And then all of a sudden, it was Juggernaut everywhere. blows yeah. up, right? How did you first hear Nirvana cast? Uh, when I was very, very young, I guess just friends of mine would be playing Nirvana and it smells like teen spirit. Like that was always like uh, if you if you were trying to get a band together in grammar school, like if you that was the first track everybody tried to play it was <laughs> smells like teen spirit. But I didn't really uh, delve into Nevermind until my sophomore year of high school. I had a buddy of mine uh, that I used to hang out with. Um, his name was Sean Brady, if he's out there listening. Shout out to Sean Brady. <laughs> he he played the album for me, and I was like, you got to give me this CD. So I borrowed the CD from him, and I don't think I've ever given it back. But mm-hmm. when he gave me the CD, I must have listened to that thing cover to cover four times a day. I was, like, in love with that album. Never mm-hmm. mind. So I didn't really get into them that much till high school. But when I was much younger, yeah, Smells Like Teen Spirit was, like, the the song that everybody knew. Well, it's funny, and you kind of mentioned it, Rob. For me, I was a big metal guy. And not a hair. Like, you know, I like poison and bands like that but it wasn't about that for me it was about iron maiden and metallica and you know ozzy and and anthrax and those type of bands so when nirvana came out it was kind of the end of that era of the classic time for those bands i mean metallica survived in guns and roses but like iron maiden did not do good and halloween did not do good and ozzy and scorpions and those type of bands. so i hated nirvana even though by age like in 91, when it came out, I was 20 years old. That's the perfect age to be a Nirvana fan, like feel the angst and the energy and the power. But I totally ignored it and denied it because I was such a metal guy. So to, I didn't get into Nirvana till about 10 years ago. 
going back into because I had such a hard on for them for basically killing off my favorite bands. I think, but the fact that you did get into them, I always think about this with huge popular bands that are good musicians. You can't deny that guy could write some hooks. Like even Absolutely. You, like, you could love it or hate it if you listen to it objectively. Like, okay, that's, that's the third song in a row that you can sing along to. You know, that's, Musical genius yeah. as far as songwriter. Yeah. You know, but I was the same way even with Van Halen when, when Sammy Hagar joined <laughs> the band. I didn't listen to 5150 until 1995. It came out in 85 because I was so pissed off that Roth left the band. But you listen back to it now, and like we said, I mean, there's no doubt about it that, that, that Cobain was the, if you want to call it grunge, was the uh, president of that movement. Right. The number one influence in making that into what it was. And he didn't want to be, which was interesting. Right. He didn't want to be, which is where all the rebellion came from um, and why there's such a switch between uh, Nevermind and uh, In Utero, which we'll talk about. But And you think about it, like just the way that he changed. Like I always say like there's certain cultural, there's certain bands that change culture and change society. You had Elvis which bled into the Beatles. Everyone starts to dress like the Beatles. And then suddenly, you know, everyone starts to sound like Zeppelin. And then it turns to, you know, maybe uh, mid-70s, late-70s Van Halen. Then it goes to, you know, the Guns N' Roses. Then it goes to Nirvana. And that was kind of the end of it. Then it turned into rap and those sort of thing. But people were wearing what Cobain wore, changed their hair into what he wore. It kind of influenced everything. Yeah, I think it's... Uh every generation needs their voice, you know, it doesn't matter. That's the interesting thing to me is, you know, you grow up whenever you're 13 to 18, whatever music you're hearing is going to be your music. And no matter how good it is, it can't be your kid's music, you know? Mm. And it's just, that's the way it works. And uh, that it was just time. It was time for something different. And even as a kid, like I'm, I was into Metallica, Anthrax, all that stuff. Like that was the stuff I listened to. But with more mainstream rock, I felt as a kid, like, I'm kind of tired of this. Like, I remember having that. I remember watching Bullet Boys smooth up in you. <laughs> smooth up in you. Exactly. <laughs> and I remember, like, the moment of being, like, having this thought of, like, I've seen this too yeah, much. Yeah, good call, man. And then a year later, that was Nirvana. And it was like... I think people are just looking, what can we grasp onto now? Or at least kids my age, you know? It happens with every style of music in that you get one or two bands that are really good at something. So then everybody jumps on the bandwagon and then they become so saturated and so kind of second rate stock that it needs to be purged. You know, that it's yep. like it needs to be eradicated and start over with something new. Now, you never experienced that cast because you were, you know, uh, younger when all this went down. Yep. When you got into Nirvana, I mean, probably that was early 2000s or something along those lines. 2003, 2004. What did you think of like the style of the band? Did it even make sense? or did you... I mean, I really, I really dug them because I had listened to, you know, Pearl Jam and, uh, but I was a classic rock guy. So Nirvana was a... Uh, you know me, Billy Joel, Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> that's that's yeah. what I was raised on. New Yorker. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so when I get Nirvana and Pearl Jam and I started listening to those types of bands, uh, it was like a whole different type of music to me because classic rock is, you know, very different from alternative or grunge or whatever you want to say it is. But uh, when I started getting into Nirvana and Pearl Jam and stuff like that, uh, the, it was just a different change of music because, like, even 
in the late 90s, I, I started getting into like Eminem and hip hop and stuff of that sort. So I'd never really experienced alternative uh, rock until like the early 2000s. And I was kind of hooked right right from the get-go. I was just listening to nothing but alternative rock. It's for funny a while. because, you know, we I'm I'm sure have you been to Seattle, Rob? Uh no, I haven't. Okay, so you've been there, Castle. Yeah. Obviously you've been there many times. We wrestle there all the time, the Key Arena. And I used to actually live in Vancouver, which is just up the road from Seattle. And you can tell, like, you know, what exactly is grunge? I asked Billy Corgan that once. He's like, Well, we never thought of it as grunge. It was just basically trying to be Black Sabbath. And I think, you know, with Corgan, he wanted to be Black Sabbath. With Cobain, he wanted to be Black Sabbath combined with, like, the Melvins or the Buzzcocks or some kind of a punk band. But when you go to Seattle, it's a pretty depressing place. Like, it's always great. It's like today. It's gray outside. It's cold. It's wet. That kind of bled into that sound for me. You know, you go up there and it's oh. just like it's just like not a great place yeah. as far as, you know, weather-wise. It's always gloomy. Always, like, right. you look at, like, a lot of towns we go to, uh, especially in the south when it's warm, you open up the shades when you... When you wake up in the morning in whatever hotel, Marriott, whatever, I'm a Marriott guy. Okay. Okay. And um, you get a good feeling when the sun's out. You're like, oh, I'm going to start my day, go to the gym, get some coffee. Man, I'm going to have a great day and go to the show. When Seattle, you open up those shades, it's like, oh, man, this place. Somebody go back to bed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's the opposite of L.A. Like, well, exactly. And it's funny, too. Like, even just the style, like, it just popped in my head as we're talking. So, like, who's the... Who's the grunge guy in the WWE? Well, it's Daniel Bryan. The way he dresses, his hair. He could be in Nirvana. Where's he from? Like Yakima, Washington or something like that. Aberdeen. Aberdeen, Aberdeen sorry. That's where that's, from. That's, yeah. Oh, he's from the, from the same city. Yeah. Yes. And he has that vibe, just kind of a weird, creepy guy, <laughs> you know, in, in the best possible way. But, you know, hair is just hippie, plaid shirts, cords. Yeah. That's Cobain. That's Nirvana. I, I think... It's like uh, I, I love that you mentioned the Sex Pistols because that's the way I think of um, like that. I didn't get into I'm not super into the Sex Pistols, but I didn't even listen to their album for a long time. And then when I did, it reminded me of Nevermind kind of with like, hey, these are all catchy punk tunes. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what Nevermind is. And uh, I remember reading one time that Cobain said he wanted to be like. Uh, Zeppelin with you can have something that rocks out and then you can have like a stupid hippie song. I think a stupid mm -hmm. hippie song to him was like Polly, which isn't really a right, hippie right, song. Right, but, yeah. um, but it's really interesting because he, of more than any band I know, like those guys wore their influences on their sleeve so much they would, on the Unplug set, they played a lot of their influences instead of their own tracks, you know? I was going to mention that too. I, I think when that was kind of all the rage in the mid '90s of doing the unplugged, and there was a lot of good ones. I mean, Kiss Unplugged is great, and, and Rod Stewart is great. But, but the Nirvana one, to me, is the best one because nobody expected it. But when you listen to both these albums, so many of those songs are basically like, you know, the best songs are ones you can play acoustically just by yourself by a campfire, and they lend themselves to that treatment so well. Like yeah. you mentioned, Paulie or Penny Road T or Dumb come as you are it's like they're so just dark like tales that you would have some medieval you know yeah. guy playing on a lute by the fire on game of thrones or something along those lines the the unplugged and especially the final track where did you sleep last oh, night man you can like hear the pain in yeah. kurt cobain's voice you can like feel it you can feel his pain and then you if you do your research you find out that shortly after the unfortunate incident with him where killed himself, he killed yeah, himself that's right 
And then you listen back to where did you sleep last night? You're like, yeah, that makes sense. Like you can, you can hear it in his voice. Like there's, there's something inside of him that, that, that he brings out in his music and his performances that just, you could feel what's going on with him. His vocal too, like it's not the best vocal as far as range, but as far as feel, like he, he reminds me a lot of John Lennon in his vocal stylings. It's not technically great, but the emotion and the power, it's so raw. It's, it's, it's very uh, memorable and very, you feel it. Yeah, it's like his throat's full of razor blades at times. Yes. And then when he's actually singing, like his, Lennon's a great example. Like uh, he could find melody, like the perfect melody, so right. easy it seemed like, you know. Yeah, exactly. And, that, and that's kind of like you mentioned before. And actually I read something where Dave Grohl was saying that Cobain told him that it's music and melody first lyrics second it's like we don't really care about the lyrics it's all about you know what kind of a of a vibe are you singing about and what's the tone that you're working on you know the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal it probably won't go well so set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. So let's get into the two records. So uh, Nevermind uh, was uh, released September 24th, 1991. Um, which, like we said, you can almost remember the day that it came out. Because for me... I was uh, in, in Canada, and Much Music was the big video. It wasn't MTV. We had Much yeah. Music, which is so lame. But I remember, like you said, Smells Like Teen Spirit. The moment that came out, it's like, uh-oh, we're in trouble. <laughs> You're a metal guy. <laughs> but just so much power and passion in that opening, like, drum salvo and everything. I mean, it's really, it really is uh, uh, one of the most memorable songs from that time frame. You're uh, I just... Just quick off to the side, but I remember an interview with Warrant, I think with Janie Lane or something, like he said that they knew they were in trouble when they went into the record company, you know, after right Offices, when yeah. the uh, grunge movement was starting. And they looked around and it was three like Alice in Chain posters on the wall and nothing about them. And there's, yeah, he said, he said when they went in there, the, like a couple months before, there's a big Warrant poster on the wall. Yeah, yeah. And then when they came in the next time, it was a big Alice Chains and they're like, yeah, we're done. <laughs> we're in trouble. <laughs> but that's the thing. So, but, and, and, but, but another thing is that so, so for, for In Utero, it came out two years later, almost to the day, September 21st, 1993. So, like I said, it's only two years, but there's a huge kind of a difference in this record. And I think, I told you, Cass, that I had a, a little bit of a theory about this. I can't wait to hear it. You, you kept it secret until well, now. I gotta save it for the show, yeah. kid. You got yeah. red light fever, baby. Um, I'm a professional. So I think uh, that, never mind, we mentioned how it's almost the perfect record and every song is so catchy and every song was so polished. And I think Cobain hated that. I think at the end of the day, when that record came out, it wasn't what he wanted. Um, it was produced by Butch Vig and it was actually mixed by a guy called Andy Wallace, who's one of the greatest mixers of all time, still works to this day. And when it was done, Kurt was not happy with how polished it sounded. Um, I think the producer for the next record for Neutro, a guy called Steve Albini, said that it sounded like uh, Motley Crue with a fuzz box, <laughs> which I'm sure Cobain was like mortified by. 
But I think that because because Nevermind is so polished and so tight and so catchy that his rebellious soul demanded that they go back to just this punk noise, basically shit on a couple of <laughs> tunes on in utero. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, I think you said that you said yourself. There's a couple stinkers on in utero. Well, I, in my opinion, in utero's got five great songs, and the rest are all stinkers. In my opinion, <laughs> but the, but the stinkers, it's not like they're th- th- throwing a dart and missing the mark. It's just like noise. Like just ah, lots of blah, blah, blah. like yeah, exactly. Well, so just noise and like even his singing. Or a lot, of, even on Nevermind, there it, I could say this, but more on in utero. Like when he's singing, I'm like, what are the lyrics? And then if I go look up the lyrics, I'm like, that's not what he said. Well, you go, like you can't even understand what he's saying. It's just a lot of noise and a lot of like screaming on on, on in utero, uh, for sure. But yeah. There's five songs. Very, I, I think they're all very, very catchy. And then the rest is just like you said, noise. I remember going to punk clubs when I was a kid, you know, kid, early twenties or whatever. And you'd walk into the club, and it would just be like this barrage, this wall of guitars, and just some guy just screaming. And that's what a lot of these songs sound like. But that's the environment that he came up in. Yeah, I think uh, you know that that era that they came up in a punk, which would have been more like hardcore, you know, actually, uh, Dave Grohl was in Scream, which was a hardcore band in DC. That was like one of the centers for them and uh, for that genre. Sorry. And um, that is tough music to listen to if you don't have kind of the trained ear. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm pretty open to a lot of styles of music. And for some reason, I'm not a huge death metal grindcore guy, but for whatever reason, Napalm Death is one of my favorite bands. So I can. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I can filter out that stuff pretty good and appreciate the riff because I'm not a big lyric guy. Well, and that's some total just scream your ass off with some crazy blast yeah, beats yeah, behind it, Yeah, but it does right? take, like, it takes a trained ear to kind of, you know, I watch other people listen to stuff like that. They'll hear uh, even, like, Minor Threat or something. And they'll be like, oh, this is just noise. And then, okay, what do you, I've asked them, like, what are you listening to? Mm-hmm. And it's something I would never listen to. Like, oh, yeah, that would sound like noise, I guess. But with all that being said... I can even agree that with all the dissonance and all that I can listen to, there's a couple tracks that, you know, like, ah, it's just not enough of a riff here to even make it, you know. Right, right, right. I I almost think, too, another thing I was going to say is that I'm not going to say he tried to stiff it, but I think just from just the whole concept of who Kurt Cobain is and was is that he wanted to go in there and piss the record company off. But I think even when he tried to stiff it, he still couldn't help himself but write these amazingly great tunes. And I remember one time I had a match against Kevin Nash. It was a hair versus hair match. And I was kind of pissed off because Nash never really did anything and it left it all up to me all the time because we had a little bit of a, of a series of stuff. And I went up to Pat Patterson, my mentor, basically everyone's mentor, kind of the Yoda of the WWE. And I was like, you know, Pat, this, this man, I'm just going to go out there and, and stiff it. I'm not going to talk to him about anything. I'm not going to say a word. I'm going to let him call the match. Just go out there and just have a, a shitty match. He's like, you can't. Like, what do you mean? You can't. What do you mean? Like, I, I can't. Like, I'm not allowed to. He goes, no, you can't. You, you mentally can't allow yourself to have a bad match on purpose. You won't be able to do it. You're too good or whatever he said. And I, I was thinking about, about, about In Utero and, I, and how Kurt was probably trying to piss some people off. But even by trying to piss them off, by having, like you said, the stinkers, he still couldn't help but write 
four or five songs that are maybe better than almost anything on Nevermind. Yeah. Thinking, oh yeah, I'm going to show them. Well, what about Heart Shaped Box? Well, yeah, well, well, there's other ones on there that shows them. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. he couldn't do it on purpose. It's just too good. Original title for uh, Nevermind uh, was called Sheep. Yeah, which is uh, kind of his commentary on uh, the record company and on fans and that sort of thing. Was a uh, was it? I forget which album was it that he wanted to have a. Uh, I'm pretty sure there was an, one of them he originally wanted to name like "I Hate Myself and Want to Die" in utero. It was that. In, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That just shows you what Nevermind did to him. <laughs> I hate myself and want to die. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. and then yeah. they uh, uh, they wouldn't let him use that. And yeah. The other the other title for that which I really like was verse chorus verse. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of cool, right? Yeah. That was. Uh, you know, I'm not the biggest Nirvana expert or Cobain or anything like that. But the one thing I've noticed consistently in interviews I've heard is people say we, we see him, I think, because of his tragic end and all that as this dark guy. But everyone talks about how funny he was mm -hmm. and they wish people knew his sense of humor. Right. But if you just listen to his songs and see interviews where he's either strung out or he doesn't want to deal with it. Well, this guy must be depressed all the time. But. He wasn't. He seemed to have this sense of humor that, you know, I remember reading about the uh, argument of making in utero was I hate myself and one yeah. yeah. Like, it took a while for like, yeah, they might not get the joke. It was really just more about like, the fans see you this way, you can't do it because they won't get it, you know? They won't get the tongue-in-cheek yeah. part of it, right? But that, that's always, you hear that about people that kind of have that depression um, that they're also really funny, you know, like a Robin Williams thing or, right. you know, Chris Cornell or those type of guys as well. It's kind of the... the uh, Some bipolarness. Yeah, something. the escape mechanism to be really funny, you know. Uh, and you can see that because if you, have you guys ever seen uh, Nirvana live at uh, the, the uh, Reading Festival in England? I've listened... Uh, Is that where he comes out in a dress? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, even better. He, so it's this big no, festival. wheelchair. Yeah, he something. comes out in a wheelchair. They're headlining. <laughs> he comes out in a wheelchair wearing a dress and a big wig. And uh, this guy's like, he's trying his best, you know, he's, he's trying his best. And he gets up out of the out of the wheelchair and he starts singing um, uh, uh, The Rose, like by Bette Midler, you know, <laughs> but really out of tune. They say love is like a flower. And then he falls down on his back. This is in front of like 60,000 people. Those are headliners. <laughs> and then he wanders over to his guitar, plugs in, and they start playing Breed. Uh, while he's wearing his wig and and the and the the frock, and they've got this one dude on stage, like the three of them. This one dude's just like dancing out of control, the whole song. <laughs> I bet you he was like, "Yeah, just keep dancing, don't stop." <laughs> and it's really weird and funny. It's really funny. I couldn't imagine being there. Like they're the headliner. If I'm a fan, it's like here they come, Nirvana. Yeah, yeah! <laughs> they're gonna rock this place. And then he That's, comes out and does that. Like, what the hell is going yeah. on here? A guy pushes him out in a wheelchair. <laughs> yeah. And you can hear, like, it's like it gets really quiet. And then when he stands up and falls down, it's like no one knows what's going on. I would be in shock. I'd be like, is he, uh, what the hell? Is he high? Like, what is going on here? We, I paid to see Nirvana. Right. Yeah. Just the balls to do yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. Just to show the ultimate confidence. and like, yeah, I'm going to use my intro for the show. <laughs> and I think he's, I mean, he is the ultimate example of, as you guys know, to varying degrees, fame is not what a lot of people expect. Right. And I don't think anyone expected. Uh, I remember reading one time, I might have the numbers wrong, but the record company thought Nevermind would sell a total of like 250,000 copies. 
And at one point it was selling 400,000 a week. Yeah. Like, actually, just to, I actually you read that okay. earlier. It did 50, they were earmarking it for 50,000. Okay. Even, even better. Yeah. So like, and then to be, you're, you're, he didn't ask to be the voice of a generation. He right. was told he was. That's right. And at that level, you can say, tell me, I'm just like you. Tell me how I leave my life. I can't do that. I don't, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. And right. then that, oh, I get it. You're right. I have to find it within myself. I'll do whatever you say. And like, no, like, just leave me alone. It's like the people that committed suicide after Cobain committed suicide. Right. I mean, just like there's certain like, for example, John Frusciante from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. He quit the band about, I don't know, eight years ago. He's the genius of the Peppers in a lot of ways. All their best records. He's the guy, but he couldn't take it. And imagine yeah. if you were John Frusciante, but you're the lead singer and you're the the the, the poster boy for, for the grunge, quote-unquote, movement. He couldn't take it, but he couldn't really quit. I mean, I guess he could have, but his way out was the final way out. But. And when you have that depression and everyone has a magnifying glass on you, like, you can't escape. Like, I can't imagine what that would be like. That's crazy. Like, what you guys do, I watch it. I'm a pretty calm guy, but eventually the 80th person at dinner to come up to me to get an autograph, I'd yeah. probably snap and you, you can't do that. Yeah, you know, it gets to you after a while, you know? Um, so, um, but I, I find that Cobain is kind of a very Axl Rose type of a character, although Axl wasn't the suicidal type, but very reclusive and maybe not really wanting to be around people too much, which kind of led to him being the way he was. And that was kind of his genius as a result of that. So, um, let's get into the track by track here. It's a, it's a, it's a the war begins, uh, never mind. Uh, uh, smells like Teen Spirit, and um, uh, for um, uh, in utero, serve the servants. Uh, this is a slaughter. <laughs> I mean, it really is. <laughs> yeah, right? so one-sided. Like smells like Teen Spirit. Hey, put them on the map. I mean, I wasn't. Uh, I don't remember back then, but like you guys were saying, like put them on the map. Like changed music. So like, how's that? I don't know. How's any song? gonna go against that especially serve the servants which in my opinion is not a very good song <laughs> every band uh, if you're lucky has the signature song yeah. that you're always going to be known for whether it's enter sandman or pour some sugar on me or stairway to heaven or you know insert name here it's it smells like teen spirit for, yeah. for nirvana all across the board and I almost think that Serve the Servants, once again, was like Cobain's reaction was like, you know, I'm sure when they put out it Smells Like Teen Spirit, had no idea it was going to be like you said, the song of a generation to whereas Serve the Servants, like, I'm going to do the opposite. I'm going to put like a real weak, I don't want to keep using the word stinker, but very, very stock. It sounds almost uh, purposely dissonant. Bingo. No I, I think it was put there on purpose. To kind of be like the new Nirvana song. What's it gonna sound like? What? Yeah, the, yeah. The first song. Uh, can't wait to listen to it. Bang! It, it, like the like the concert you said the, at the Reading right. Festival. Like everyone's like they can't wait to hear the first track and then they hear that they're like, huh? This is the new Nirvana. <laughs> yeah. This sucks. And he probably sat there howling like, oh, I did it! I did it! <laughs> the weird thing about that track to me is it makes me think of Jane's Addiction simply because of the line he says. The line had a dad. And at the time, I had been into Jane's Addiction. So I think of Jane's Addictions had a dad every time I hear that song. <laughs> they were big at that point in time. Yeah. Right before that came out, well, been, caught, been Caught Stealing was a huge tune. Again, like Nirvana opened the doors for uh, alternative music. Right. And there was a lot of bands, maybe not a lot, but like a growing between the Pixies, Jane's Addiction, all that. They weren't really getting the MTV play, but 
enough in the underground that it just needed something to kick the drawer yeah, open. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Ben caught stealing. Now we'll put everything on TV. Right, right. Just go through from there. Chili peppers, even. Um, okay, so then uh, it's, it's in bloom up against uh, Scentless Apprentice. Again. <laughs> just a slaughter again. <laughs> it's just that I don't, I, I don't know if I don't. I don't know if there's anybody out there that could even debate this one. Yeah, for, I mean, for in utero, unless you're some kind of a weirdo wearing a cardigan with greasy hair that wants to be different. Yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I'm, I, you know, I'm more intelligent than you. Salvius served the servants and sentless apprentice was Kurt's cry for freedom. Like, shut <laughs> the fuck up, right? I mean, even even the point where uh, uh, in bloom, I think it was even a single as well. Like it was the yeah. fourth single yeah. record, you know. But yeah. it's just that classic stuff. But uh, scentless apprentice. I appreciate the, uh, you know, the, uh, I don't know what you call that, an anomaly or an oxymoron or an alliteration of yeah, the yeah. rhyming scheme, but it's pretty big stretch, you know, like Very a scentless big. apprentice. Like, what does that even mean? Right. <laughs> you know, I remember if, if girl got was, was Foo Fighters was like stacked actors. Yeah. Yeah. Something oh, yeah, like that. There you go. Probably got that from uh, <laughs> the scentless apprentice. So uh, then finally we get a little bit of a fight. Now it gets one. interesting. Now it gets interesting. Yes. Where you got come as you are yep. uh, versus uh, uh, heart shaped box. No, so yeah, heart shaped box. Yeah. What do you think? That's about? tough. You know, heart shaped box is kind of the um, like smells like teen spirit, the definition of the Nirvana sound of the soft chorus, I mean, soft verse into the loud chorus, you know? And um, in terms of those two, those two, I personally would take heart shaped box, but I get it. I mean, Come as you are, as people. Actually, I think that's on the sign to Aberdeen now. The really the term "come as you are." Yeah, no kidding. So that also highly associated with Nirvana for whatever reason. I mean, it's one of their biggest singles. You know? For sure, right, right. What do you think, Cass? Uh I do really, really like Heart Shape Box, but I got to go with "Come as You Are." I just anytime I hear it, if I'm in the car, if it's on the radio, and you hear it, ding, 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 ding. When you just, yeah. when you hear that and like put that up, yeah, like bump that right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just for me, uh, that song. I don't know. That's that song is maybe second best song on that entire record. Wow. Uh, yeah, I really really like that song. But heart, I can't like now. It's interesting, so I can't like bury heart shape box because that clearly is a great song. But uh, I'm, maybe I'm just very biased towards Nevermind. But I'm I have to go with Come As You Are here. I remember. Um so once again, just hating Nirvana and the concept of Nirvana. Um, I remember I was like, oh, it's their one hit wonder. They'll never have another hit. And at the time I was working at a bar called Malarkey's. I was one of the, uh, the bouncers. And on Thursday, they used to have this thing called Psychedelic Thursdays. And all the rockers would come. And it wasn't anything psychedelic about it. It was just all playing all the rock stuff. And I used to hang out back by the DJ because that way I wouldn't have to do anything. But I could just look at girls and uh, drink. And I remember like, uh, the guy's like, yeah, we got the new Nirvana. I'm like, whatever. <laughs> and then Come As You Are came on, and I was like, oh, shit. And they're not going to be one hit one. This is pretty damn good. Uh, having said that, Heart Shaped Box, um, I think had they opened the album with Heart Shaped Box, you'd have a, more of a contender. Yeah. And I just, my, to me, the part of pain, meow, meow, da -na 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 -na, I, I'm going to go with Heart Shaped Box because I just find that, that one little part, that really weird deviation of meow, Wow, it's really, really cool, and um, I really dig that. Uh, so I'm going to go with Heart Shaped Box. Wow, I'm outnumbered on here. Okay, and I think we have to mention, not many people know this, but Come As You Are, if anyone's familiar with the band Killing Joke, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, what's that track? Do you know it? I, it? The only Killing Joke I know is the one Metallica covered, The Weight. Anyone listening, they can figure this out, but it's very similar to Come As You Are to the point that... Uh, like, like the melody of it? Yeah, I think oh. Cobain was nervous about releasing it, and there was like talk of legal action that never came to fruition. Dave Grohl ended up playing with Killing Joke for at least a show. Really? And everything was okay. But that song is... The Killing Joke song is very close to... I can't remember. There's like two layers to it, and you're like, whatever. And then you put the Killing Joke song, and you're like, oh shit, that's coming as you are. Ah, you know, hit us at up, least the melody. You hit know? us up on the Twitter at Talk Is Jericho if you know what song uh, Rob is referring to. Uh, also, too, you ever notice how like the greats that like I've never heard of anybody else in the world with the last name of Cobain. I've never heard anybody else with the last name of Gretzky, or. Ulrich or Hetfield or you know, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's weird to the Iserman. Yeah, man. You if know? there's some someone coming into NXT, they should they should try Cobain. to get their name Cobain. That's wow, an that'd be awesome great. last name. Colt Cobain. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You can have that one. Anybody out there, uh, you can have one. It's better than some of the crappy names they give you guys. So <laughs> Colt Cobain, take it. Yeah, uh, let's talk about the album covers quickly too. Here, uh, both very very cool album covers. Uh, which one would you choose uh, first uh, as the winner? I think I just that Nirvana cover is iconic with the baby swimming and yeah. the, the dollar bill or on the fish hook. Like, yeah, I I, uh, I believe that um, there was some controversy around that, and they were thinking that people would be offended by showing the baby like well, in plus full penis too. Yeah, right? yeah. That, that and uh, I think uh, Cobain wanted to put a, a sticker. No, not a sticker, but. Something over the, the baby's penis that said, "If this offends you, then you're a closet pedophile" or yes. something like that. Yeah, yeah something like because <laughs> there was so much controversy around that. Right, they said that uh, they were looking for, they wanted to, to do some kind of um, underwater birth. Yeah. So they went and looked at some underwater birth pictures, and all very disgusting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they went to like a kiddie pool and took like four or five shots, and like, hey, sign off on this, and if we use it, we use it. Yeah. And they wanted to do, uh, they wanted to uh, edit out the wiener. Yeah. And then they're like, well, then he just looks like a baby boy with no wiener. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So leave the wiener on there. <laughs> Put the sticker on there. Yeah, it's a baby. You know, I, get yeah. over it. But that's how people were yeah. so offended back in those times. Yeah. Like, he was just only 25 years ago. Yeah. But that was still a big deal. And the guy's name was Spencer Eldon. Spencer Eldon. Yes. Uh, and he recreated the album cover for the 10th, 17th, and 25th anniversary and at the 25th anniversary shoot, uh, he wanted to be nude, but the photographer insisted that he wears swim shorts. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's not the same when you have like a 26-year-old guy yeah. yes. <laughs> dong hanging. <laughs> <laughs> I will say this, classic album cover, absolutely, but uh, I bet you uh, the in utero, it'd be, very, it'd be a very cool tattoo. Oh, for sure. I bet there's a lot of people that have tattoo wise in Euro wins easy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you, I'm sure there's probably some people with a tattoo of the baby. Yeah, oh, for sure. But <laughs> there I, has to be. <laughs> That'd be an interesting tattoo to have. Yeah. <laughs> take, you go to the swimming pool, take your shirt off, people see that. What the hell's wrong with this guy? Get, get the penis right. Make yeah. sure you get the penis right on it. Uh, yeah, so I mean, I, like I said, I, I, yeah, I agree with you. Tattoo wise, it's in Euro. Uh, baby with a penis wise, it's definitely never mind. Yep. <laughs> now here's another good one. Uh, track number four is Breed versus Rape Me. Rape Me certainly that was a was that ever released as a single? It was like a, a double single with okay. all apologies. It was kind of like a double sided. I like 
breed territorial pissings, which we'll get to, but like, uh, as a statement, uh, rate me as a wake up and jump around song breed. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, just think about that too. Once again, I remember that it was controversial when rape me came out. Just think about that song title though. Rape me. Yeah, yeah. that is, that's brutal. Like we know it now cause we've heard it for so long, but just think about that. Like getting a record and seeing the back rape me, especially back then. Right. Yeah. I think they wanted to change it to wait me, which is such a stupid name. Wait me. I, I'm something like they wanted the record company didn't want rape me on the back of the cover. So they were going to change the song to, you wait know what? Me. I think I have a vague memory of Wait, something like to get it into Walmart or something, right? Yeah, that, that was it, yeah. And I think they might have even printed that, but the lyrics are the same. Like, they didn't change the track. Well, why, but why not I call know. it Wake Me? Wake, maybe that was what it was. Wait Me? Whatever, it, wait, it was either Wake or Wait, whatever it was, it was like, that Sounds doesn't like Yoda. Make, it doesn't even make sense. After you wake me, you will. <laughs> like, what? It might have been Wake Me, but I just know that they had to, like, change change something right to get it to walmart or kmart one of those two yeah, to, to uh to act for them to sell it mm. but song wise yeah like man breed if i'm in the gym and i'm and i need a pick me up and i just put that on that is definitely a pick me up song to mm. to work out to anything before a match something mm. like that but rate me is the better in my opinion the better song I, i'm gonna go i agree with you on that i'm gonna go with rate me yeah um, statement-wise, uh, chorus-wise, it's got one, my favorite thing about Nirvana, which is the dynamics of, like you mentioned, and Come As You Are and, and Lithium, which we'll talk about, but it just kind of gets slow and heavy. But just the whole vibe of Rape Me, there's certain lyrics. Like, I'm more of a overall song and melody. You could sing, you know, Three Blind Mites, but if it's sung a proper way. But Rape Me, to me, was just so memorable and so dirty and so a cry for help. But I will say this... Uh, Breed, like you said, if I wanted just to rock out the first minute or so, it gets kind of a little bit stock after that. But I was listening to it today with one earbud in and one earbud out as I was driving my kids to school. And it's um, it's classic stereo recording, where if you just listen to the one side, all you hear is bass and drums. And that bass line is pretty badass. The guitar is on the other side. Yeah. But there's a lot of great bass playing. In yeah, I was going to mention that. Like, I mean, this is a power trio we're talking about. Right. And um, they get a huge sound, and the bass line's so important. And they, he double tracks guitars, but a lot of times they don't compared On to. On Breed, there was only the single right. track, yeah. And that bass line carries the entire song, mm -hmm. like a little fuzz on it and everything. Yeah. But in a, in and a little, like, doo 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 brown. He's, he does a little bend on the note. Yeah. Brown. And I have a, I have a thing for. Uh, I, I get, you know what, it kind of started in popular music around that era with Tool and other bands like that, but pushing the bass forward a little yeah. bit more because they're, they're, it's really the redhead stepchild of all the instruments. Well, but you just said a great point, though, too. It's a power trio. And if you're talking about, like, you know, the greatest power trios, whether it's Rush or Primus or any of those type of bands, the bass has to be a cream. Yeah. It has to be important. And no one talks a lot about uh, uh, Nova Selleck. Uh, maybe it's because he didn't really do anything after like Dave Grohl did, but yeah. the guy's a great bass player. I really one thing I enjoyed about going back and listening to these two records to do this kind of to to get up to snuff was just how good his playing is. And I don't think that's Cobain telling him play this, this, and this. I think here's the part. What do you got? That's the, actually the same thing that jumped out at me last night when I was listening to these. Mm. I, I more than once like, wow, there he is again. Yeah, He's killing it always. Yeah, yeah. so. Thumbs up to uh, Christ Novoselic if you're listening to this, as I'm sure you aren't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, so next uh, round of attack is Lithium versus uh, 
Frances Farmer will have her revenge on Seattle. <laughs> Title-wise, well, I have to go to Frances Farmer, yeah. but... Yeah, um, what do you think, Cass? Do I got to go with Lithium. Lithium is... A, I'm pretty sure that that was a single off that album. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, you hear that song, you think Nirvana. Like, you know right away. You hear, like, the first, I don't know, 30 seconds of the song, you're like, Nirvana. You know the song. You know most of the lyrics. And Francis Farmer, I just... It, man, I... I that song just is very bad. <laughs> I don't think I'd ever heard that song up until we started listening. <laughs> Who do you think, Rob? Um, lithium. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Francis Farmer is not a bad tune. I mean, it's it's one of the better, quote unquote, stinkers on the record. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, lithium is just such a classic tune. Yeah. But um, I, I did a little bit of research. Uh, Francis Farmer was a famous actress from Seattle who was blackballed from the film industry after a series of mental collapses and a failed battle with alcoholism hmm. and Kurt related farmers battles against her contracts with corporate Hollywood with his difficulty with his record label, which he felt was holding him back and stifling his art, making him release poppy stuff. He was never satisfied with. Also, he said that he really liked long song titles because the, uh, the, uh, all the rage at the time was the one word titles like yeah. plush and uh, that sort of thing, even yeah. flow, for example. So he wanted to put out, Francis Farmer will have her revenge on Seattle. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, at least there's a reason. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't make the song any better, but uh, there's a reason. Now, here's another fighting back, though, from, uh, from In Utero. So from Nevermind, we've got Polly. Polly want a cracker. And then we've got Dumb, Polly versus Dumb. Uh, both of them appearing. <sighs> On the acoustic, uh, on the uh, unplugged, they're kind of identical. They're, they're, they're identical songs. songs. Yeah, they yeah. Are. That's, I mean, Polly's. That's a pretty heavy song, like subject-wise, mm. because I remember it it's. He read a story. Uh, the reason I know this, I remember as a kid reading about this, because you hear the lyrics and you're like, "This sounds kind of f***ed up," and then you read it, and like, "Oh my god, it is." And it's like <laughs> a 14-year-old that was kidnapped and raped and tortured or something like oh that. Gosh. Polly is the name he's using for like, that's if you read the lyrics now, knowing that you're like, oh. holy shit. You like, want to crack her because she's in a jail getting raped or something? I yeah. think I should get off her first. Is that what he says? Oh, wow. I think she wants some water. Oh, yeah. Don't yeah. take out the blowtorch. Something like those are the lyrics. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah it's I, a little I, different spin. Right? I, yeah. didn't, <laughs> I did not know We're not that. laughing not a, at the... Uh, just, but just, yeah, right. That's not, yeah. I did not know I did not know that story. You yeah. didn't know that till right now. Now you're going over the lyrics. Now I'm head. going over the lyrics. I'm like, wow, that's really demented. Wow. Yeah, I didn't know that. I, I've never known that that's what it was about. Like, now thinking of the lyrics, it's like pretty twisted song just to put a little, a little bit of a funny thing on it uh rob halford from judas priest came out of the closet gay and it put a different spin on all the lyrics that he wrote eat me alive oh my god jawbreaker grinder and ram it down i said that's right he goes, you couldn't tell from that what's wrong with you lad of course i was gay yeah it's, it's, eat me alive jeez <laughs> takes away the heaviness yeah. of it right some, look at look at some judas priest albums at some point knowing Which now like, you said ram it down so yeah that that takes away from the heaviness and what we're knowing about paulie adds to the heaviness um but once again though what's the what, which do you choose i go with i go with dumb here dumb but I, I mean i really really like the song Polly, but uh i i have to go with dumb here and even both of them appearing on the unplugged uh dumb on unplugged is yeah. better also i just uh choosing dumb as well or Polly? yeah i think so although i'm always impressed with just acoustic guitar and singing, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and you can, 
You know what I noticed about Dumb Not to Interrupt You, Rob? Yeah. Uh, I heard it on the Unplugged, but it's actually on the record, too. There's kind of um, like an organ grinder in the background. I think it's like, I can't remember, it's like it's a Calliope, how you, however you pronounce that. It's the same thing that you hear in it, a, for the benefit of Mr. Kite, like a circus when they say, kind of piano. Is that is that what what they play when they when he said, "I think I'm just happy." Yeah, yeah. I think it's a cello. Uh, well, and there, there's a violin in there as well, but it's, it might be a cello. But it sounds like one of those. It's an old circus hmm. instrument. Um, I have to listen to it again. It, it, it used to turn it. It was like an organ grinder, and it's like you used to have the, the guy with the, the monkey would dance, and you'd play this kind of a weird. There's something weird going on. And I think I think on Unplugged it is a cello, and it might be a cello, but yeah. to me it's going to be a calliope, however the hell you pronounce it. So <laughs> now I'm going to picture that whenever I listen. To it. <laughs> yeah, I'm choosing dumb as well, uh, especially with this very serious uh, take on Polly, which completely changed the song for me because I thought it was Lily Cobain. Uh, maybe had a pet parrot and was just looking at it and wrote this really cool song about I hope, I hope I'm right and that's not some weird memory of a teenage me but <laughs> I I, I'm pretty sure that's right. correct um, okay then we go to side two uh, back in the days when there actually were sides kids that go check out your old albums and cassettes there was actually two sides and not just one long stream that you get for free you sons of bitches uh, <laughs> territorial pissings um, versus very ape Okay, so um, first of all, Territory Pistons with the intro of uh, the out of tune. Come on, people now, shine yeah. on your brother, <laughs> which is awesome. Um, but where are you going with this one, Rob? I loved, uh, I remember an early live performance of Nirvana. Teen Spirit was all the rage, and they instead played Territorial Pissings. Mm. I remember seeing that as a kid and thinking, okay, I get these guys. Like, oh, okay. th th that's on purpose to, because that's not nearly as catchy of a tune. But I love that. You know, mm -hmm. I love having the balls to do it's that. punk rock to do yeah, that. Yeah, you know. And um, again, great bass line that kind of drives the whole thing. I love I'm the like, snare drum too. It's like, yeah, yeah. Again, it's just like, for like you know, a, 20 seconds. That's a very Dave Grohl-esque. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Grohl's, Grohl's insane too. Like you forget as well with you know, obviously Foo Fighters is so catchy and he's such a good songwriter and guitar player. But he's an amazing drummer, man. He, he is has so much energy. One of the most... It's so simple. Yeah. It's so simple that I don't play the drums well, but I play the drums. But I would never think that simple. Like that's why it's genius. It's kind of like a, an ACDC riff, right? You know. And he's the most musical drummer I think I've ever heard. Where everything's like that. The the drum fill just the snare roll before uh, smells like Teen Spirit. You could just hear the, the classic. Drums. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and everything builds it up. Like every time you hear it, you know what's happening. Yeah. And like. It's not just that track, it's a lot of tracks, and that's mm -hmm. why he's Dave Grohl, I guess. Right. I, th I think we were talking about this maybe a few weeks ago at just how talented he is when it comes to drumming, but like he only did what was appropriate for the songs right. and for the betterment yeah, of the yeah. songs on the album. Like he never, quote unquote, in, like in wrestling, tried to get his shit in. No, you're right. And that's why we say about Ringo Starr, people bagging his drums, but that guy was the perfect drummer of playing the best part of what fit the song. Right. Yes. And Gruel is definitely in that vein. So is Lars Ulrich nowadays, too. Very focused in on how does this make the song better rather than me getting my shit in. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Uh, who do you choose or which do you choose? I think Territorial Pissing. Again, it, like Breed, that's, that's a song that, uh, that I could put on and really kind of get in the right frame of mind, whether it's working out, whatever you need to do to yeah. get up, uh, you know, like a cup of coffee for some people. That song, like for me, like could, again, get me up if I need to get up for a workout or whatnot. And I don't know, very ape to me. I, I just don't like that. I, I just, 
don't think it's a good song. Again, I'm not going to use the, that S word again that we keep using, but <laughs> it's just not a very good song. I me. don't, I don't mind "Very Ape" as a. I think it's a good song. Yeah, right? but it's not as good as "Territory of Pistons." I do like the line. What is it? So, uh, don't hesitate to ask. If you ever need whatever, don't hesitate to ask someone else first. Yeah, right. Whatever right. it is. If you need anything, don't hesitate yeah. to ask somebody else. Um, I'm going to go the other right, right here. This is one of the ones that, uh, like I said, kind of getting back into in utero because I don't know the last time I listened to this album straight through. And I have my little uh, little notes here, and I actually have Territory Pissing Circle, but this morning I listened to Ape four times in a row wow. and really discovered, like, I love this song. It's a weird little minute and a half, just very, very punky, cool tune, and I'd never really discovered it. So I'm going to go with Very Ape. Wow. Uh, even though every time my dog, I take my dogs out to go to the bathroom, I always, always, no joke, when they go to the tree, I always think, oh, there's a territory pissing right there. Yeah. I've learned something from uh, Kurt Cobain <laughs> and his lyrics. But I'm going to give the edge to Very Ape. Although, you know, two weeks from now, I might slap myself in the face and wonder and what the hell I was like thinking about. And I do like the about. subtle guitar when it just goes note yes like, that, yeah, that's yeah. what yeah that got me too there's some really it's cool weird it's a weird thing yeah, but it's it, but it really know. is memorable so mem very ape uh wins for me um okay so the next one uh is uh, uh never mind was drain you not to be uh confused with rape me drain you uh and milk it i'm just gonna go right here and milk it's just the shits <laughs> <laughs> That's one of those ones, like I said, you walk into the punk rock club and it's just this wall of noise of some dude just screaming uh, and, and people just slam dancing for no apparent reason. It's the so. uber stinker. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you would, would you say is that the worst track on the album? I would say it's the worst track that maybe Nirvana has for me. Wow. Uh, but there might be something on Bleach, but I can't recall anything <sighs> that jumps off. I mean, maybe I'm missing something. I'm sure there's people that think Milk It's the best, and that's fine. But to me, listening to these two 12-track records, if I had to list from 1 to 24, Milk It would be at the bottom for sure. What do you think, Rob? Yeah, I mean, I'm not a, Again, I can handle a lot of that stuff, but I'm not a huge fan of Milk It. Yeah, because yeah. you can handle a lot of stuff when it's got some vibe to it and yeah. something about it. And some of it has a hook. Yeah. I mean, there's some Cannibal Corpse songs that have a hook. <laughs> yeah. This one does not. I'm, I'm going to go with Drain You also, and... I especially like Drain You because there's a point in time, it's got to be two, three minutes. It's like it's somewhere in between two and three minutes into the song where they bring it down. Mm -hmm. It's very, very low, and then they build it, build it, build it back yeah, up, yeah, and it's yeah. Cobain just screaming, screaming, and then they get back into it. Uh, yeah. That, I don't know, that that point in the song, it just always gets me up. I, I just, I like the song, and that point in the song, every time I listen to that album, always gets me in the right the right mood well and the uh live at reading we talked about after they play breed the second song in the set is drain you so yeah. it definitely has that high energy where they want to put it on early and, and i think i read uh that that song was written about courtney love or uh or, or no no it was written about his ex his ex before courtney oh, love uh drain, drain yeah and like the the first line is uh one baby to another says i'm lucky to have met you or something like that mm. and i think that's something that she said to him early on their right. relationship i'm remembering he wrote a number of songs about her yes like that, a, right? a lot of the songs off nevermind were about their relationship really yeah and hmm. uh that he it's just about her and how she just drained him mentally and, and when i believe that's correct i think mentioning courtney love that was reading about when they were recording in utero and they got this kind of really big indie producer called steve albini who's just uh 
I guess he was the exact opposite of what Butch Vig was. He wanted to make a punk rock record and, you know, that sort of a thing. And the, the deal was they're in Minnesota somewhere in the snow, and the only people in the session were the three guys, Steve and his engineer. And at one point, Courtney showed up because she missed him, and I guess she just berated everybody. She was, like, uh, uh, insulting Cobain and his... The modern Yoko. Yeah. And they're like he was. They, I guess they said that when she left, he just sat in the corner for like three days and couldn't do anything because he just mentally killed him. That's always a recipe for success: just berating somebody, right. your partner, just creating. Yeah, geez. yeah, exactly. So. I think we should briefly mention that it, it, these two albums. It's a good look at the influence producers can have on a sound, and that is Albini's sound, like very raw yes. and big. Yes. And, um, and that's why they went with him because they didn't want the Motley Crue with the Fuzzbox right. production that they had on Nevermind. And he, there's a letter that circulated that he wrote. Like he was hesitant to take them. It's kind of an interesting read. Right. Like I'm not going to take percentage points. Yeah. Just you know, flat rate. It's kind of like. Uh, yeah, he refused to take. He's almost combative. Piece of the record, but yeah. like, if you want to work, then I'm your guy. If not, don't. He fuck said. With he me. said just in doing some reading that he almost felt bad for them. Because he said they were just like another marginal band, like all the other ones that he worked with, which is like the Pixies and the Breeders. He's right. like, yeah, they're all suck, you know. And then you have a producer who feels that way. It's like Eesh. there's an instrumental band I'm a huge fan of called Don Caballero, and um, they went to Albini. It's the same type of sound. Like when they went to him, much more raw. The drums are very big yeah, and yeah, open. Yeah. Sounds like they just put one mic on the drum kit. Mm-hmm. Really, there's probably forty, but you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, next uh, battle is uh, Lounge Act versus Penny Royalty. What do you think, Cast? I go Penny Royalty. I, I do really like the song Lounge Act, but Penny Royalty to me is just a, by far a superior song. That's one of the. I don't know, I'd say that's one of the good songs off of uh, In Utero. One of, the, in my opinion, I felt Penny Royalty like, uh, especially once again on the acoustic record, yeah. really came alive. Yep, and. Um, it's really good, and that's why I was kind of thinking that Paulie was maybe just about uh, a parrot while he's drinking his Penny Royal tea. And it's like, what can I write about? Oh, I'm going to write about this tea bag or something like that. It just creates this beautiful, you know, masterpiece written about a cup of tea. But once again, Lounge Act, great baseline. Uh, it's a little bit more pedestrian, a little bit more straight ahead. Whereas I think Penny Royal tea has that Cobain uh, fairy dust that makes it special for me. I I went through both a Penny Royal and Lounge Act phase, so. In a weird way, I will admit, at, and I would see how most people would use Penny Royalty, but I'm going to give these a tie just on a personal level because I okay. remember listening to Lounge Act like over and over and Penny Royalty. So. It's like, how's Rob doing? Oh, he's going through his Lounge Act phase. Yes. <laughs> Which is probably three days or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, then we got a Stay Away, which to me is the one that, Keeps Nevermind from being a perfect record. Wow. Um, uh, versus Radio Friendly Unit Shifter. And I'll start with this one. I'm going to take Radio Friendly Unit Shifter just because of the title, which I thought was great. And when I was uh, a kid, and even to this day, I always, uh, when I get a new record, I, I decide on what songs I like just by reading the song titles alone. And when I see the song titles, I'm like, oh, I'm going to like that song. Even if it has to be a real S word for me not to like it. And yeah. um, going head to head, like I said, stay away, it's good, but I just like radio friendly unit shifter. And I actually do kind of dig the song as well. It's a little bit quirky, it's weird. Um, and it's the other side of Kobe and that, that I can dig at times. So I'm going radio friendly unit shifter. I'm going to go stay away. I, I do agree. It's definitely the weakest song by far on that album. Yeah, but like B. 
Yeah. B minus. Give it a B, B minus. It's not an A minus uh, for a perfect album, but um, it is kind of just noise, but I think there's more to it than that. If If there was a song on that album that was kind of just noise, like we were saying, that's the one, but I still like... That that song, like I said before, I'm very biased towards Nevermind, mm-hmm. just because I've listened to it cover to cover probably hundreds of times. So I, I'm going with Stay Away. Rob, huge points for uh, the title, Radio Friendly. I mean, what, <laughs> you, you can't it. get more punk rock <laughs> yeah, than that. We need a know? hit. There you go. Yeah, there's your hit. Here's your Radio Friendly <laughs> unit shifter. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I'll, I'll take that one again. Great baseline and uh, Stay Away. But it does, to me, sound like if there's any filler on that mm-hmm. album, there's not that it's a bad song, but it does lack some heart that other songs on yeah. that album don't have. It's like I said, when we did the, the perfect album uh, search with the Avenged guys, that was the one song that kind of eliminated this one from, from contention for me. But, yeah. uh, and then we go to one that's definitely in contention for being just a great tune, which, of course, is uh, uh, On a Plane. Um, and that's not a plane like an airplane. That's a plane like an empty field like where I come from in Canada uh, <laughs> versus uh, Tourette's. Um, once again, Tourette's to me is just a, a little bit of a, of a filler track of Cobain just basically f***ing around with a minute and a half, you know, punk rock song. So On a Plane also trans- translates great on the Unplugged. And um, I really dig that song. So I'm taking On a Plane. Uh, also On a Plane for sure. Tourette's is not uh, just not a... In my, I just every time I, if I listen to the In Utero through, I'd say that's a song that I might skip over, mm. just just to get to the final mm-hmm. track, which is maybe the best track on the album. The best thing about about uh, Tourette's is it's one minute and thirty seconds. Yeah, so <laughs> I can't even I can't even make go, it through. If you have to go take a leak ski, you'll be okay on that yeah, one. Yeah, I would take On a Plane as well. I really like that song. Yeah, although I will say Tourette's for some reason, isn't as bad of a stinker as some tracks on there. Mm. It, that's a classic, just a hardcore riff, yeah, it's you a know? Yeah, rock song. And um, I think I said this to Cass the other day, like, you know, I get this if it was live. If you're half drunk, mm. jumping around, and that energy came on for a minute that. and a half, like, yeah. I could see that, but when you're listening to it in context of, like, that comes on... Uh, if you heard some Nirvana hits, then that came on. It's, mm-hmm. It throws you, you know? Yeah, if it was live, it was like a Ramones type thing. Like, one, two, three, four, and they just go yeah, through. Yeah. Like, ah, it's cool. Whatever, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then, um, basically, what you just said, Cass, a couple minutes ago, the album closers of Something in the Way uh, for Nevermind and All Apologies for In Utero. So, All Apologies might be the best song on In Utero, but I don't know why. Something in the Way is my favorite Nirvana song of all time. Wow. Yes. My favorite Nirvana song ever. That's awesome. Once again, both of them on the unplugged set. Yes. And Uh, the one, there's something in the way on the unplugged set is unbelievable. Interesting. It's my favorite. I don't know why. I think it may, is there, it has to be, is there a violin in there? Like, uh, there's some instrument in there that they throw in there. Cello. Again, it's a cello again. Yeah. Um, that song for some reason, I don't know, just, just gets to me. Love that song. And once again, just, thinking of the genius of, of Kurt Cobain and how we're mentioning, oh, he's got milk and territory pistons, but then the guy 
will go and get a cello a cellist yeah. to play in a song and that's why i think and i don't know this for sure because i don't know the history of Cobain, but there has to be some kind of a beatles influence on him as there is in almost every musician but that's a very beatly thing to yeah. do eleanor rigby just put some strings I like that in there beatly thing to do yeah <laughs> i'm gonna start using that <laughs> it's a very beatly thing to do what do you think rob that's tough because i'm a fan of downtune guitars mm -hmm. and I believe I don't play guitar or anything, but I think uh, something in the way is in C, which I really like for some reason. There's a guy that you've done some stuff with, I think, Devin Townsend. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff in C. It. We won a Juno together, which is a Canadian Grammy. I only discovered that guy a, a couple of years ago. He's he's great. Something yeah, he's else. not for everyone, but, but if you dig him, he is a genius of genius. He's all over the place. Yeah, it's crazy. For sure. Anyways. Um, I love the sound. I love when you can take two notes and make a song. Right. You know, and it's so simple. And I heard a cool story that to get the sound, it wasn't working right. And it ended up, maybe this isn't true, just a rumor, but Cobain lying on the floor, him starting to play it, and uh, Butch Vig running over with a microphone. It's just something in the way. Yeah. And that, I love that just kind of like in the moment type stuff. You know, obviously they added stuff to it. Yeah. And, um, but in the end, I have to go with all apologies because it's all apologies. I think it's a better song, but I get it because there's something about something in the way that is really cool and simple. I'm going to go with all apologies. I think it's one of my top five Nirvana songs, maybe even top three. Um, and once again, you know, we keep referencing this over and over again, but it was just, it was so perfect for, uh, for the, for the acoustic set. And I also love, like, these days, in this day and age, when you do a record, you stack, you stack it. I mean, you put your best songs on in the first three or four or five tracks because most people are skipping and they're streaming and they're moving. To put what could be, like you said, the best song on the record last, it's like this nice little treasure that you find where you go through the whole record. Like you said, there's some good ones and there's some that are okay, but then this amazing riff like wow i would never have quote unquote wasted that at the end of the record i would have put it on first but the fact that uh serve the servants is first and all apologies last once again fits my theory that cobain just wanted to fuck with the record it's kind company. of a big f you yeah, yeah and wanted to fuck with people who were jumping on the bandwagon of what nirvana was at that time which yep. was basically all the college kids and, and high school kids you know that that was it was the in thing yeah so I'll go with all apologies for, for that reason. Although, like you said, something in the way, like I don't smoke weed, but if I did, it'd be the type of song I would want to have a big fat one and just like very, it's very Floydy, yeah, uh, yeah. white album, yeah, you know, scarce, relaxing, relaxing. You know, it's, speaking yeah, of that, it's, it's like um, you said Floydy. What's that track off? Is it the Wall? Goodbye, Cruel World. Yeah, very similar. You know, no, there's like the two that. notes on the bass. Yeah, there's yeah. a song called Long, Long, Long on the White Album. It's a George song. And it's the same yeah. thing. It's very, when I, when I was a kid, it was very boring. But you listen to it now, it's so deep. And it's just, it's almost like a song you would write just as you're about to go to sleep or just as you're about to wake up from sleep. And something in the way is like that as well. Yeah. So so there we, you, you go. You got uh, the In Utero lineup and, and, the, and the Nevermind lineup. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious which is the quote-unquote better record. Yeah. But I'll say this from from kind of once again going into it. In Euro's a lot, not, I'm not going to say a lot better because it's a great album, but it's a lot deeper than I originally remember it to be. Yeah. Do you disagree with that? I, I, I agree. I think, I think you're right. I do remember something about 
uh, Cobain saying that lyrics weren't as important to him. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we were rolling when you said that, but he did say it, Cass. <laughs> and um, think, wait, was that you that said that? Was it me? You? Yeah, yeah. I, I said that I'd uh, read that Dave Grohl said that to okay. about Cobain. Yeah, what okay. he had learned yeah. from Cobain. Now I'm just putting words in people's mouth. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I think that might have been true for Nevermind, but there seemed to be a lot of personal stuff on in your, or more personal, I should right. say. As, as he was kind of spiraling yeah. towards towards the end for himself. Yeah. Never mind, like you said, almost the perfect album, Stay Away, is that one. And even Abbey Road has Sun King, according to Sami Zayn. Because <laughs> I brought up the, the perfect album thing to Sami Zayn, and I was, t- I was frustrated because everything I threw at you, like even Thriller, you, you came back. Baby, Baby uh, Be Mine. Be Mine is no. And not, I, uh, I was so mad. Guess. I was like, he's so stint. He's just not giving me anything. And he was like, hey, man, I don't think you're going to find one. He goes, even Abbey Road's got Sun King. <laughs> you know, I listened to a few tracks. <laughs> On In Utero with someone, and she said, uh, she's not as familiar with Nirvana, but she said, like, oh, this is Nirvana. It doesn't even sound like them. Mm. And I thought that kind of said a lot as mm. to what Good call. a average music listener wasn't, you know, especially in Nirvana, would hear. Like, you'd hear the hits, you'd hear the unplugged stuff, but what they are is a punk band that could play poppy stuff, really. You know, it's, it's kind of like, if you only heard Master Puppets and Justice for All and Ride the Lightning, and then you listen to Reload or right. something like that, you'd be like, well, this doesn't sound like Metallica, but it is. Sure, sure. Like, there's two it's parts the evolving of the band. Yeah. Same with the Stones or Kiss or right. any band that's been around for a long time. You have that evolving. That's why, once again, had Cobain survived, would Nirvana have survived? Probably not. But I still think he would have continued writing and they probably would have reunited a million times. But where would he have gone with his music? He'd probably be doing like some kind of EDM electronica shit now just because it would piss people off. You know what I mean? I remember this might just be fan theory or something, but I remember reading something about uh, he had started to listen to more of Grohl's stuff and started to say like, oh, we should write some stuff together, Mm. which is what everyone like, oh my God, imagine if they did. Like it'd be like Foo Fighters and Nirvana combined. But... Which uh-huh. might not be a good thing. Yeah. You know, like once he had, had, had Cobain not, you know, done what he did and, you know, killed himself or whatever the politically correct way of saying it, we might not ever have had Foo Fighters. Yeah. And you that's know? why the police fought is because everything that uh, yeah. Sting brought forward, it was just even, even Copeland admit, like it was just better. Like, yeah, and he yeah. said, why should I be confined to a three piece rock band when I can have 12 piece and write all this other crazy stuff? Yeah. That was kind of Sting's. You know, once again, talking about great power trios. I mean, Sting's bass line in the police yep. is amazing. But, I mean, uh, Cass, what's your favorite song on Nevermind? Your favorite song on... Uh, favorite on song Utero? on Nevermind, Something in the Way. Uh-huh. Uh, and then um, on In Utero, it's a it's a close tie between All Apologies and Dumb. Hmm. Yeah. Rob? That's really hard. I'm going to say In, in Utero, uh, I'll say All Apologies. Never mind. I can't say Teen Spirit because you just can't choose that yeah. one. Yeah. Although in reality, it's probably the best tune. Yeah, the but you, we're, we we're too cool, so man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We know too much you never about picked it. Yeah. Hits. yeah, and it's it's just you know by the first year it was out, you heard it thirty thousand. You know, times. I just figured out about three years ago. It's uh, a libido, a mosquito, an albino, and a wino. Or <laughs> what? Uh, <laughs> What's the lyric? And uh, it's a libido, mosquito, albino, now something. I can't think. But you, just as we're looking it up, I saw Nirvana get inducted into the Hall of Fame, and they had um, Joan Jett was playing guitar and singing, 
And dude, I'll tell you what, man, it was so good. It, just the fact that they used a girl, used her, but it was so good, man. Like it just fit perfectly, like the punk rock Not vibe just of that. Them, you know? I think I have the lyrics here. I have a vague memory of Cobain being into women's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think that's why they chose her. I remember reading somewhere that they wanted PJ Harvey, mm. but they couldn't get her. And then Grohl and Nova Selleck said, wait, this needs to be all women. That's yeah. why they had uh, St. Vincent, Vincent, Vincent uh, Lordy. And uh, was there someone else? Lord, Lordy, and Lord, then uh, Joe Jett. Joe Jett, yeah. yeah. So what is the cast laid on us? This first word, do you have it there? Yeah, I got it. Mulatto? What, mulatto? I'll let yeah. you read it. Yeah, it's, it's uh, a mulatto. An albino, a mosquito, my libido, yeah. <laughs> I just figured that out about three years ago. Uh, uh, yeah, so just uh, I, I'm going to go with all apologies and rape me, and I'll go with lithium and uh, teen spirit. So, um, oh, teen spirit! Wow, well, yeah, come on, man. Yeah, you know? and you know you've made it when Weird Al Yankovic does a uh, parody of your song. <laughs> yeah, <right>? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dudes, thank you very much, man. Uh, oh. Classic album clash. Is it everything you thought it would be, uh, Cass? Everything I thought it would be, and I'm still going to keep searching for that perfect album. I'm, I got to find one. That'll be the next one. Yeah, I have to find one. <laughs> thanks, boys. Yeah, right, thanks thank you. a lot. All right, thanks to Big Cass and Rob for taking part in the Nirvana Classic Album Clash. And if you have a suggestion for a future Classic Album Clash, hit me up on the Twitter at TalkIsJericho. And remember, tell me which one you like better. Do you like Nevermind better? Do you like In Utero better? Tell me some of your thoughts and some of your, uh, some of your ideas, and maybe I'll read some back for you next week right here on Talk is Jericho. And thanks once again to Big Cass. Hopefully he'll be back in the WWE very soon, recuperating from a major injury. I think he is almost ready to make his big return. And thanks once again to Rob, who runs the Hard Knock South, Big Jim in uh, Lando Lakes, Florida. If you want to know more, go to Instagram at Hard Knocks South, H-A-R-D-N-O-C-K-S-S-O-U-T-H, or go to www.org. M-O-G-Y dot M-E to learn more about Hard Knocks South. It is for you, man. Uh, and speaking of being for you, I'll tell you something else that's for you if you like good rock and roll. Fozzie on the Judas Rising 2018 tour. We started up again yesterday in Milwaukee. Tonight, Wednesday, March 28th, we're in Chicago at the Bottom Lounge. Uh, the VIP for that is sold out, uh, but tickets are still available. March 29th, Grand Rapids, Michigan at the intersection. March 30th, Detroit, Michigan at the shelter. That's sold out. March 31st, Dayton, Ohio at the Rockstar Energy Arena. That is sold out. April 2nd, Cleveland House of Blues. April 3rd, Pittsburgh at Jurgles. April 4th, Clifton Park at the Upstate Concert Hall. April 5th, New York City at the Gramercy. April 6th, Philadelphia at the Foundry. That is sold out. April 7th, Portland, Maine at the Aura. The VIP for that is sold out. April 8th, Hampton Beach, New Hampshire at Wally's. Get your tickets at FozzyRock.com. Get your VIP packages at FozzyRock.com. Come meet me and the rest of Fozzy. Come see a private uh, meet and greet, a private mini concert just for you playing songs. We're not going to be playing later on in the night. Uh, we'll take pictures with you. Sign your stuff. It's one of the best VIP programs in the business. Also on top of that, remember, April 8th is WrestleMania Sunday. 
if you come see Fozzie. It's an early show, and then we'll be done by, t- by the time the pre-show starts. And then I'll come out and watch WrestleMania with you with the rest of Fozzie. That's April 8th. Do that. All information at FozzieRock.com. Also bringing the words of Jericho back to the UK in the spring. Tickets still available for Glasgow on the 21st and London on the 23rd. Manchester is sold out on the 22nd. Get your tickets, your final tickets at InsideTheRopes.co.uk. And of course, it's still not too late to buy your cabin now for Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea. We set sail October 27th from Miami to the Bahamas and back. And for as low as $150, you can book your cabin at ChrisJerichoCruise.com. And remember, once you book the cabin, your price includes everything. All the concerts, comedy shows, live podcasts, meet and greets, autograph signings, Ring of Honor, a Sea of Honor tournament, all of that stuff free of charge with your cabin reservation. Your food is included as well. All you got to pay for are alcohol and gambling. But remember, you get to hang out with everybody, including me and this incredible lineup of guests. More guests have been added this week. Cheeseburger is going to be there from Ring of Honor. Deanna Parazzo is going to be there. Also, Jim Ross, Jerry the King Lawler, SoCal Val, Mick Foley, Mick's daughter Noelle Foley has just been added to the lineup. She's going to host some stuff for us. Ricky the Dragon, Steamboat, Rey Mysterio, Raven, the Keeping It 100 crew, Conan, Disco Inferno, and Shane Helms. Beyond the Darkness, Tim and Dave will be scaring the pants off you. Colt Cabana and Marty DeRosa doing the unprofessional wrestling show. That's hilarious. Don Callis and Paul Lazenby doing Killing the Town Live. Brad Williams, Ron Funch is making you laugh. Busted Open Radio, Dave LaGreca is going to be there. Corey Taylor is going to be there doing a special acoustic set. He's just been added to the lineup, the singer of Slipknot and Stone Sour. Phil Campbell and the Bastard Sons. Fozzie's going to be playing three shows. I'm going to be doing my own Words of Jericho show just for the cruise. King is going to be there. The Stir, the Dave Spivak Project. Go watch Get Out of My House on his YouTube channel now. It's a great song and a great video. The Cherry Bombs, the Darlings of Rock and Roll. Shoot to Thrill, the best female ACDC cover band in the world. Blizzard of Ozzy, the world's best Ozzy cover band in the world. Of course, the PS de Resistance, Ring of Honor, presenting the Sea of Honor tournament aboard the ship. Matches happening in the middle of the ocean, and the winner of the Sea of Honor tournament gets a Ring of Honor World Heavyweight Championship shot in the future. Kenny Omega is going to be there. Young Bucks will be there. That's three-fourths of what people are saying is one of the greatest matches of all time. They just had it in Long Beach with New Japan. Kenny's going to be on the cruise. The Young Bucks will be there. Matt and Nick Jackson. The villain, Marty Skrull. The Briscoe Brothers. Dalton Castle. Frankie Kazarian. Adam Page. Chris Daniels. Jay Lethal. Delirious. The American Nightmare. Cody Rhodes, one of the biggest heels in the business. One of the biggest stars in the business. Cody's wife, Brandy's going to be there. Deanna Parazza is going to be there. A cheeseburger is going to be there. And we still got more names coming the list keeps on growing so many cool things happening if you don't want to go on this cruise if you like wrestling and rock and roll and you don't go on this cruise well then you're just a stupid idiot go to chrisjerichocruise.com and book your cabin now all right coming up on friday Howard Jones returns to talk as Jericho. He's got a great new band called Light the Torch. We'll hear all about that. A few stories about Killswitch Engaged. What happened to the devil you know? My Christian metal buddy, Howard Jones, is going to be there. My fellow Winnipegger is going to be here on Friday. Howard Jones, he is hilarious. You're going to love him. If you heard him before, you know how great he is. If you haven't heard him, stay tuned. You're going to love it. In the meantime, in the between time, stay hard, stay hungry. Peace, love, and hugs, and a big yeah, boy.